Dios te bendiga, iglesia. May God bless you, church. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Qué bueno es estar en la casa de Dios. And it's great to, let me say it out now, it's great to celebrate how God winks to me this morning. Your first song, we sang it on Sunday. So I was ready to sing it today. You know, I was playing the guitar on Sunday, but today I was able to just sing it with you. And the second song is one of those songs that has contemporary songs that has been transformative in my life. So I'm just thankful for you guys being so hospitable, not only to sing in Spanish in the language of my heart, but also to sing in the spirit of my heart also. And I'm so thankful for that. Let me begin by saying some thank yous. If you can put that image, I think that one, yes. Gracias. Let me, I have three reasons to say gracias. Three reasons to do that. Number one is because, as Jessica said, this is my first time standing in this place as a preacher. I was one of you guys as a student a couple of years ago, and I prayed in this place, and I read scripture in this place, which is difficult in itself. But preaching, after you heard Jessica yesterday and President Tennant on Tuesday, it's not that easy. But I want to say thank you to the chapel team and Jessica for honoring me with this opportunity of standing in this holy ground to share the word of God to friends, students, colleagues, and people who I may not know you yet, but I plan to meet you as God gives you the opportunity to keep coming here. So that's my first gracias. Muchas gracias. My second one is to the student body all the way to the president's office and everyone in between as you were searching for a professor and you invited me to this journey, I thank you because you all think that I have something to add to this community. When you think about the small island where I'm from and to me being standing here, it's just a miracle. And I thank you for just giving me the opportunity of joining this great community. And also, let me say a third one. I think it's the next slide. That's mi familia. That's the family God has gifted me with. We got here in 2013, and Laura had shorter hair because she was coming out of going through cancer treatment. So Asbury Community, Callis Village, the Office of Community Formation, Spiritual Formation, the ESJ Lounge, all of you became an act of healing for me and Laura. When we got here, we only had Kalani, Mia, and Valeria. I've been surrounded by women all my life. <laughs> but in July, God birthed into us Anthony. We have become his family, and he has become our family. So I want to say thank you because the seeds of the idea of probably adopting started in the halls of this institution. And there was no better place to start a fall as a professor, but also as a new father, than being in this place. 
So I want to thank you all for, for that and for letting me be part of this. Let me show you this next image. Don't get fooled by that smile. Probably few people know who she is. President Tennant met her. But also, I'm here with my father-in-law and a good friend. They're not my aiming corner. They're here in case I faint and I fall down. They will pick me up. Before I knew anything about Ecclesiastes, I mean, before I knew there was such a book in Scripture, and I grew up in the church. I'm the youngest of four siblings. My mom and dad were already ministers. They have been in ministry for over 50-something years in the Pentecostal world, in the Church of God, which is a Wesleyan Pentecostal tradition. So I learned how to run, and now I'm learning how to walk with you guys. I started backwards, but I love that I'm walking now. She shaped me with Ecclesiastes in ways that I never knew. I don't think I know much more about Ecclesiastes now, but whatever I know, I know through her. Whenever I was asked to do something in the house, whenever I was asked to do something in church, wherever I, something was asked of me, she would say, Mijo, todo lo que venga tu mano para hacer, Hazlo conforme a las fuerzas que tú tengas. Everything that comes to your hand, do it with your strength. I'm going to confess something. Mom, I know you're probably watching. It bothered me. It really bothered me. Right? It was, I felt defenseless every time I wanted not to do something. And she would say, whatever your hands finds to do, do it accordingly to the might that has been placed upon you. Do it with that. Yes, I'm asking myself why God put this scripture to me as we are entering Lent. Because we're burying probably our hallelujahs, but something is not going to be buried around Lent is work. Would it be a way of working through Lent? Is there a way of doing the things that come to our hands in a different way as we are facing Lent? And that's what I've been thinking of throughout this, this season. Because every time I'm faced with a transition, every time I'm faced with something new that comes to my hand, I just can listen to the voice of my mom. Actually, I was talking to her. I talked to her daily, but I was talking to her last week, and she winked and saying, like, remember, what comes to your hand, hazlo según tus fuerzas. So every time I'm facing a crossroad, I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes through the voice of my mom. Another confession as a Pentecostal, I never heard God's voice directly. And I'm okay with that. I listen to God's word through other people and his scripture. And my mom speaks to me in so many ways. But it's, it's interesting that in these crossroads, we, we are met with, and I did my assignment. Dr. Keener spoke about the suffering Messiah. 
and that road to the cross. But also, Dr. Barnes spoke about the formations and deformation that might happen when we live into community. We are completely in crossroads when we are trying to live out what God has given to us in the community because we're not called to live by ourselves. We're called into this, into this experience of extraordinary and ordinary events like Dr. McCall preached. But when we are at the crossroads, we have to set our hearts, right, Dr. Tennant? Set our hearts. Because working requires to set our hearts into the right place to do our work in the correct way. And as we set our hearts, we do so at the intersection of the holiday and the holy day. When dust and love comes together. When dust and love comes together. And I think, and I think so, that we are in a crossroad. I think that we are in a crossroad personally. I think we're all in a crossroad institutionally. Let's just put it out there. Even though I'm one of the newest faculty, I'm aware. But I think we're also at a crossroad lit liturgically. Because this season puts us either at a crossroad or in the cross road. And however you want to parse this today, God is asking us to do joyfully, to find joy in this road that we are. Because the teacher, the preacher, the speaker, however you want to call the one who's writing Ecclesiastes, says that in this crossroad, we will always be in God's hands. We can do what comes to in our hands because we are already in God's hands. And that's why we can do it joyfully. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with might. Do it with strength. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Shehol to which you are going. This season, orient our lives into a season of fragility to a season of towards toward death, not as a final destination, but as a passage. Como un umbral, as a passage where you stand in that place knowing that there's, there's something more. And as I prayed, putting all this together, and you don't know how many times I prayed, how many times I changed draft? This could be draft number 10, and probably as I'm preaching it, it's going to be number 11. <laughs> I told the team, get up at 10.50. Maybe I won't preach this whole thing today. Maybe God is letting me preach it to you because it's, I have to listen to it also. 
but I was asking why you want me to preach this thing. This, it's, it's, Ecclesiastes is complicated. It's a complex book. It's complex because wisdom literature, though it seems simple, do with joy what comes to your hand, it doesn't tell you how to do it. We have to find the ways of how to joyfully live that out. That's why it's so complex because it tells you something, but it doesn't tell you how to do it. Those of us who come from oral communities, that we're constantly being like saints, shape who we are. I was shaped by saints. It's complex because you get a saying, but now you have to live it out. So wisdom literature, in one way, it's complex, but it's also a gift. Wisdom is a gift because it seeks to help us live out our lives in the ordinary things of life. In reading a book, writing a paper, sitting in committees, in filling out a survey, in sitting down in cafeteria, in trying to discern what's next. Because if you students believe that you're the only one thinking about what's next, you're not the only ones. And I was you. And recently I had to speak to a student that told me, I feel like a failure because I'm about to end seminary and I do not know what's next. Because sometimes we try to push students to have it all sorted out before graduation. And something is not that simple. It's okay if you don't know what's going to be next. But whatever your hands finds to do in that next time. Wherever God takes you to do what's next. Do it joyfully. When we open this book of Ecclesiastes, it seems like the teacher brings out his main thesis, and then after you read, everything is vanity. Let's just close the book. That's it. What else we want to read? Right? After presenting himself, verse 1, verse 2 is, well, everything is vanity. But verse 3, he then says, so what do we gain for everything that we toil, for everything that we work? ¿Qué ganamos con la obra de nuestras manos? What do we gain with the work of our hands? And as a good anthropologist, the king goes out, searches. He says, and I'm going to search everything under the sun. It's interesting. He doesn't name institutions. He doesn't name places. He says, I'm going to look at everything under the sun. So everything that we do under the sun is work. And joy has to be with us in the house, in the sanctuary, at Asbury, at Walmart, at Figs, Subway, Solomon's, 
I told my friend, don't wink, we're going to go by downtown. All this vanity. Thank you for those who got what I was saying right there. <laughs> and it seems like the writer has a hard time as he searches, as he looks around. Because it seems for him that everything that he does or he sees people doing has no kind of results, brings, doesn't bear anything good. Whatever I do, he says, when I die, someone else is going to be benefited by it. If I'm going to die at the end of everything, let me just go out and live my life. Like some Puerto Rican singer used to say, live in la vida loca. <laughs> but don't do it. But it seems like he's inviting us to that because he says, you know what, because I'm going to die. I'm just going to go out and whatever my eyes see, I'm just going to do it. Well, I don't think that in that era when Dr. Tennant was preaching, he says, he, he, I don't think Nike was there. And I had that same idea. I don't think it was there either with, with the writer. But he's telling us like, hey, guys, just do it. And at, at times it, it feels like despair as you're reading. At this junction, the reader will feel the despair because he says, what happens to the fool would happen also to me, death. And this season, we are orienting ourselves to that reality. Crisis, death. But I think crisis, death, reorients, to add one of those RE words that Dr. Tenor was talking on last time, reorients the way the writer is speaking about death here. And... But there's some hope in the process when you move into chapter 5. There's hope in this story when he says, but when you enter God's presence, listen. I think that's why we have to bury hallelujahs. Because we're entering a time of listening. I said my hallelujahs there, right, you know, because I'm going to bury it after service. So I said all that I could right there. Because we're entering a time of listening. Of listening because I think there are things that God wants us to learn, to make room for others, and to be able to live in community as we come from many places to this place we call home, Wilmore Asbury Theological Seminary. We have to listen because at times he says we can live oppressing people. He's looking under the sun, he says, and I'm baffled by people who are oppressors. And I feel convicted as I'm reading this because we can... We can think that because I'm living or ministering or working in God's presence, I cannot be an agent of oppression. 
But what I find interesting, what he says is that both, he says, the oppressed has tears in his hands. And the oppressor has ill power in his hands. But then he says, but both are comfortless. Because they don't have joy in how they work. But also he says, watch out that when you work, you don't only work as someone oppressing, watch out that you don't work out of envy. That really tore me apart. Because I think this is where setting our hearts is important when we do the work we're being called to. Envy makes us eat from the tree we're not supposed to eat. Envy moves God away from the center of the conversation and makes me the center of the conversation. Because I'm not working to gratify God with my work, whether it is writing a paper or grading a paper or teaching or learning. Envy makes me, in a way, not able to enjoy what I'm doing. I am being moved by the pain of the things that I do not have. And therefore, I want to become a photocopy of something that I'm not. Envy surrenders in a way the image that God has given us for our own image. Envy makes us see things good, acceptable, and desirable. Not good, acceptable, and perfect. I think there's two big themes happening in Genesis there and then in Paul when he says that. We're not supposed to leave with the desires of our hearts. We live with the perfection in our hearts. And we all have desires, but they're called to be perfected by the work of the Spirit in us and as we live in community with others. Watch out to live in this way. Watch out. I think he's asking us to work not center in Christian desire, but center in Christian perfection. And if you don't know what that line means, you're in a great place to learn it. But there's something about this text that he also talks about that we can live among people, but we can feel completely lonely. Don't work as there's no one around you, he says. Don't toil like you're the only one in this place. The author follows the words about oppression and envy with the call to the case of solitary individuals. And I think Wesley has a sermon something like that. You know, when I think about this, I was thinking about the connections between conglomeration, who I was able to say that without studying, and community. Conglomerates unites all the individuals, but we're not in unison. 
And sometimes we can be in places like this and feel lonely. Sometimes we can walk in places like this and feel like no one is able to see me. And I think God is calling us to something different. Because not everyone in the community has a sibling. Not everyone in this community has a spouse. Not everyone in this community has children. There's some of you that left your family in other places to come to this place. And we don't want you to live alone. And the author is asking, why or for whom are they working? If they're alone, for whom are they working? And I think the answer is, is they're working for the community. But the question is, is the community working for them? And right after that, then he says, that is why two are better than one. And we think about this in marital relationships, but that's not what he's talking here. That, that's not what he's saying here. He follows the reading of working alone to say two are better than one. The response to oppression, the response to envy, the response to a solitary life is to make room for the other. It's to live into community. Because if I am down, you will lift me up. And if you're cold, someone is going to warm you up. And if you're confronted, be sure that someone is going to stand with you. Let me make this confession here. If you have felt alone in this place, I'm sorry. If you have not felt the warmth of this community, I'm so sorry. If any time you felt that you needed someone to stand with you and you did not have it, I'm sorry. But that does not mean that God has stood with us this whole time. He has been warming us this whole time and standing with us this whole time. So there we go, and we're about to end. I told them to get up at 10.50. That's where we get to our scripture. And he says, before verse 10, he says, So therefore, if you listen to what God is saying, and you move into this communal concept of working together, find joy in it. So he says, go eat your bread with enjoyment. I love bread, guys. Puerto Ricans, we love bread. But then it says, drink your wine with merry heart. You know what? I'm going to tell my mom why you didn't say this one to me. 
Like, why verse 10 and not verse 7? Well, as a true Pentecostal, she would not do that one. Right? She started just verse 10, but it says, go. When you live in community and you live, God wants to live with you, go. Eat your bread with enjoyment, your wine with merry heart. In a way, God is saying, yes, you can find joy in the nourishment of the things that you gain through your work. But this is both nourishment for our bodies, but it's also nourishment for our spirituality. It's both ordinary and extraordinary, right? We're going to sit at the table today. But it also talks about purity of life. We can work and joyfully as a community when you let your garments be white and you don't let the oil be lacking. There's an echo here in the psalmist when he says, Unges mi cabeza con aceite. You are anointing my head with oil. And then he talks about families. In this way, he talks about not only the nourishment of our bodies, the purity of our bodies, but also the the, the you know, faithfulness of our bodies until we give ourselves to our spouses. So he goes through there but says, but remember that whatever comes to your hand, please do so. But he says, because at the end of everything, everything is vanity, so you're going to die. And there's no work, no thought, no knowledge, no wisdom. But I think, I think that where the teacher ends, the great teacher begins by saying, but there's a different promise in death. The writer was not able to see that. But Christ embodied the crossroads of liturgy, the crossroad of institutionality, the crossroads of personality. Christ embodied that. And this season is pushing us to embody that reality. Self-centeredness cannot define the work of our hands. It should be a work that is centered in the road that Christ took to show us a better work of how we work out our salvation and the way we work out our deeds in community. So if you don't complete the book, you miss out the last verses that we find when he says, but whatever we do, we do so by following what God has taught us in his commandments. And then he says, and he will bless the work of your hands. So it's my prayer that as we are walking with Jesus in the season of Lent, not only in the presence of the Father, but also with the accompaniment of the Spirit, 
you're able to bring your crossroads to the road of the cross. And you may find enjoyment in what you do. Could you please stand? And I'm going to ask you to do this. You don't have to hold hands or touch anyone if you don't want to, but I want you to turn around with the people around you. Can you, can you do community within this, within this community? And I want you to spend one or two minutes praying for that person. Praying for that person that probably is down today and needs someone to lift them up. To pray for that person that probably is here today that it is cold and needs some warmth from you. To pray with someone that probably is confronting a difficulty and needs you to stand with them. So can you do that? Can you do that? Just do it right there where you are. Just turn around, left, right, front, back. And share this moment. Students, whether administrators, faculty. Jesus. 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 I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. So let me tell you good news. This can be a continual prayer. It doesn't have to end today. You can keep doing this. Let me tell you this one last thing as I'm about to end. As we face the cross, though death may wait for us all. 
Let's not wait for it in the fear of death, but in the fear of the Lord, because it will be a passage to eternal life. Muchas gracias.